So, Cross Scott is a lead auto shop technician in Tucson, Arizona. He was test driving a customer's car on January the 11th when he saw a white sedan with its hazard lights blinking in a dirt pull-off off the side of the road. When he pulled in front of the sedan, he saw an unconscious woman sitting in the driver's seat. He noticed that the car was moving, so he quickly stuck a big rock under the front wheel. He then began banging on her window to try to gain her consciousness and yelling for her to wake up. And as car by car drove, finally a car with two women stopped and called 911. He never takes his phone with him when he's test driving a customer's car, so he's not distracted. So he took another rock and broke her window, unlocked the door and got in, and he didn't think that she had a pulse So one of the women who stopped reclined her seat and Scott got in and crawled on top of her. And the first thing that popped into his mind was the television show, The Office, that you just saw, in which Michael Scott, the lead character, and the team really was not doing CPR very well. But all he could remember was to do it to the tune of staying alive. So Cross Scott was on the woman in the car doing the tune to staying alive. And after a minute, she took a breath and she threw up and the women helped her roll onto her side. And she is alive today because of staying alive. Now, there are people all around us who are unconscious spiritually, who are dying spiritually, who need resuscitated. And it's up to us to help them. And so today, we want to look at an idea or ways that we can do some spiritual CPR for folks who are not breathing spiritually, right? So Paul tells Timothy that there are two essential ingredients to helping people breathe and resuscitate them. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We've looked at 2 Timothy 2.2. This was the multiplying verse. The things that you've heard from me, you trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. And so Timothy, uh, Paul wants Timothy to know how to carry on and pass the baton. And so when someone is not breathing, you need to do CPR, right? The first thing you do is you do call 911, then you open the airway and you do chest compressions. But then there's the thing, they're called rescue breaths. That's the breathing. That's the the way that you uh, put oxygen into their system. It's what gets their heart started. And so today we're going to look at uh, ways to do some rescue breaths for people who are not alive spiritually, who are dying spiritually, whose heart needs resuscitated. And it's as simple as out with the bad air and in with the good air. And so Timothy says uh, to Paul, or Paul says to Timothy, Um, You are part of this multiplying ministry. And so through at the beginning of this year, we've been challenged in our own lives that we are called to multiply. Each believer is to reproduce themselves in the lives of another person spiritually, that we are to reproduce spiritually and make disciples of all nations. And so uh, Paul gives Timothy uh, two uh, easy things. Uh, Sometimes it's so difficult, the things that we have to remember and try to remember. But Paul gives uh, Timothy two ways to do some rescue breaths. And not only is this to help other people resuscitate, but maybe you find that you're stuck as well. Maybe you find that that you uh, are walking this Christian life and you just don't feel like you're breathing normally, that you're not as healthy as you could be. So these are rescue breaths for others, but they're also rescue breaths for ourselves. And the first thing that Paul says is this, in the Christian life, that exhaling 
is confessing your sins. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Um, we read this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now, Paul gives an illustration. He says, In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So, if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And so what Paul says, first of all, is there needs to be this this cleansing from sin. There needs to be this exhalation that we confess our sins. And he uses the illustration of these vessels. And so unless we have this exhalation, unless we are cleansed, he says we won't be useful and our lives won't be honoring to the Lord. Christians are to be people of confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. And so there's, a, there's that initial confession we make, right? Jesus is Lord, that I'm a sinner and I need his grace and I need his salvation. But Christians are to be people of confession as a lifestyle. We are to continue to exhale. And exhaling is out with, out with, the, with the bad air. And so Paul says that we are vessels... He says, he means that we're containers. Some are honorable and some are dishonored. Some are, some are common and some are not so common. Some are special. Um, we all have contact with both vessels daily. A plumber works with vessels of dishonor, toilets. Now, your dog may want to drink out of the toilet, but I certainly don't want to. It's a vessel of dishonor, right? Once a week, you take your vessels of dishonor to the curbside where the trash man comes and picks them up. And so the difference between the two is this. With a vessel of dishonor, you want to make deposits, but not withdrawals. That is the difference. And so with a vessel of honor, we are happy to receive its contents, and if we are vessels of honor, then others are happy to receive, right? Vessels of honor give. If I uh, had to come to my house and I offered you a drink, and I had put a drink in two different vessels, which one would you like to have a drink in? The vessel of dishonor or the vessel of honor? And Paul says that we are like one or one of these. He says in, in the house there are the same things. There are some that are honorable and some that are dishonorable. But what he says is, you can purify yourself from what? From that dishonor, from that, from that being not used in a, in a good way. So how do we do that? Through confession, through the, uh, the admitting of our sin, and through a life of confession and humility and of repentance. King David was a man after God's heart, the Bible tells us, although he wasn't perfect. He sinned in, in horrible ways. Um, he was a, a, a murderer. He, he lied. He covered up his adultery, right? But he turned back to God. And in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 13, this is David's prayer. He says, Create in me a what? A clean heart or a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. See what David did? He said, Lord, I am a vessel of dishonor. 
and I want you, I want you to clean me up, right? I, I want to become a vessel of honor again. And when I'm a vessel of honor, what does that mean? That means then I can teach others. And so in our lives, as someone who is spiritually dead, and we offer them those rescue breaths, the first step of that is to confess sin, to realize that we are sinners, to realize that we've offended holy God. Do you know what confession is? Confession is just verbal agreement. That's what the word means. When police are looking for a confession, they want the perpetrator to what? Agree to the charges. I'm, conf- I'm agreeing to with what you say that I did, that I actually did. That's what, that's what a confession is. And so we confess our sins to God. What we are doing is we are agreeing with God that what he says is sinful and wrong and ungodly. That's what confession is. God, you say that this is something dishonorable. I'm agreeing with you that this thing in my life is something that is dishonorable. But in addition to confessing to God, there is a, pr- a place and there's an appropriate time to confess your sins to others. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? You may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James doesn't say, I confess my sins to somebody else to be forgiven. Right? What does he say? I confess my sins to be healed. Now, if I've offended you and my sin is against you, absolutely, right? I will come to you and you will forgive me of that sin, but there's still the offense to God. And so I don't tell you so that I receive forgiveness from God. What I do is I tell you so that I find healing. Christians are confessional people. We need to keep that going in our lives. You see, it's not simply a matter between you and God. The enemy wants to keep us bound up in the lie that it's it's just between you and God. It's not affecting anyone. It's not hurting anyone else. How many times have we heard that lie that what I'm doing isn't hurting anyone? It's hurting you. And in the process, if you are being hurt and you're not healed, you are affecting other people people. And when we only confess to God, the conversation is often in our heads and it's easy to minimize or deceive ourselves. When we confess to God, we say, oh Lord, forgive me of all my sins today. I don't think I had very many. I'm not quite sure what they were, but I'm just going to tell you and be forgiven. But when we talk to someone with flesh and blood on, what happens? We minimize we can't, we can't rationalize. We put that word out there, and it has some power. Uh, Jean Barnier, in the book Becoming Human, says this, To name something is to bring it out of chaos, out of confusion, and render it understandable. That's what confession is. When confession is, I name the way that I've offended God. And what does it do? It brings it out of chaos. It brings it out of confusion. And now I can understand it. Now I know what to do with it. When we have the courage to confess our sins and our inadequacies, you know, we actually gain credibility in the eyes of others. For a long time, the message has been, don't confess your sins, don't admit that you have struggles, don't admit that you have problems, because people will think less of you. They don't think less of you. They think that you're a hypocrite, because you are. When I don't confess, and I pretend I have no problems, and I, I, one of two things is happening. Either I don't realize it, I'm blind to my own faults, or I do realize it and I'm putting up a front. Either way, I'm still not 
confessing, and I'm still in that place where things are going not the way that God wants them to be. And so what happens is, when we confess our sins and we realize that we struggle, what does it do? It actually adds to our credibility instead of chipping away at it. God is never shocked. There are no hidden scandals to him. When we confess our sins, we don't embarrass God, right? God never goes, oh, I didn't know you did that. I wondered where you disappeared to for a little while. I couldn't keep track of you. No, God, what does God do? When we confess our sins, it actually pleases him. Psalm 51, David goes on. He says this about God. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, right? Lord, I have all this stuff in my life and I, I've just confessed it. And I'm, I, I, you know, I'm bringing my offering. I'm doing the thing. And, and God's like, yeah, but I, okay. I'm not pleased with that. What he says is this. Oh God, my sacrifice is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Now, it pleases God when we confess. What is it? That's an ex- exhaling of the, of the bad air that's in our lives. And of the, of the things that are going uh, against God. We're just agreeing with what God has said. Words that are covered up or, and wounds that are covered up and deeds that are covered up will infect and poison our souls. The Christian life is not a life of secrets. There is something very powerful about living a fully disclosed life. You know what secrets do? Secrets eat away at our souls. And we've conditioned people to live with secrets and in bondage. If the church has gotten many things wrong, but this is one of the places where the church has gotten it really wrong, is we have conditioned people to live with secrets and in bondage. Because la, 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 I don't want to hear what you're doing. I don't want to share what I'm doing. Because if I share my sins, if I share my struggles, what has the church often done? Cut you off, cut you out, uh, too bad for you. Now, confession is what? It's not everybody. It, 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 it's, not, um, it's not, you know, just the stranger I meet on the street. There's got to be those relations. It always happens in the context of relationships, right? Of people, trustworthy people. Of people who, right, can help you and restore you. But secrets will eat away at our souls. What is it? It's like that bad air. If you hold it in and you never exhale, it will poison you. It's like people who smoke. They always exhale, right? Because if, they, if you hold it in, eventually you're going to have to get it out. Because you, you can't live with that uh, uh, filling up your lungs. Next week we're going to start a new series. I put a little blurb in your bulletin. It's called Rethinking Sexuality. As we head into Valentine's Day. And, and uh, just we, we have all been warped by the world's message. There is not a person in here today who has a biblical healthy view of sexuality. We just don't. Because we've been discipled by the world and by the messages of the world. But the, uh, Dr. Julie Slattery says this uh, about that sin in particular. The tension of secrecy thrives in our sexuality. Why? Because the topic has been deemed inappropriate, private, and perhaps even shameful. From the earliest days, we were taught to view sexuality and nakedness furtively. Our parents called our genitals private parts and told us not to touch them. This sets the stage for sexuality to thrive in secrecy and hiding. And we've done that and have placed a burden on people. And church is often the last place where people can find freedom and find the freedom to confess. For fear of judgment and of gossip and of rejection. 
But we are a confessing people, and we also need to be a gracious people. And so Paul says to Timothy, if you are that dishonorable vessel, right, that has, what is it? It's the stuff on the inside, Jesus said, right? You can clean the outside of the cup. We can get the shower and shave and do the hair and all that stuff. But Jesus says what's important is what's on the inside. And so how do I take this vessel of dishonor? I get the inside clean. Ultimately, it's initially cleaned by the blood of Jesus, But as I exhale, right, I confess, and the Lord brings those things to mind. What do I do? I breathe out the the bad air. So it's the rescue breaths. Now, that's out with the bad air, but Paul also tells us inhaling is reading God's word. So look over at chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. Paul says this, all scripture, in verse 16... All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word for inspired is what? God breathed. He breathed it out. It's the word. I've said this many times as we've looked at the the idea of multiply. It's the word of God that changes lives. It keeps us from sin, Psalm 119. It performs open-heart surgery so we can be cured of our sin, Hebrews chapter 4. It provides us with direction, Psalm 119. It sets us apart for God's purpose, John 17. Uh, How many of you like to read instruction manuals? You get a new new, uh, equipment, you get a new uh, whatever it is, and you're like, awesome! I got this new thing. I love this instruction manual, right? No, we don't. How many of you, your microwaves are still blinking zero, zero, zero from the last time the power went out? How many of you, your cars are still on daylight saving time instead of standard time, right? I know you. You're an hour behind or ahead, whatever it is, right? Why? Because we hate to read instruction manuals. We only look for them or to them when something goes wrong. Where is that thing? I can't find it. And then we call customer support and all those things, right? But have you ever received a love letter? From someone now, you know, letters are fading out. Like people actually used to put a pen on paper and write some letters. Uh, those are still awesome to get. You know, much better than email. But if you've ever received a love letter, did you ever just read the first two words, "Dear Joe"? Then you put the letter down, right? Or "Dear Jean," and you put the letter down, and you're like, "Hmm, let me contemplate those two words, dear." In the Greek, it means beloved, right? No, what do we do? We take that letter. And we read it all the way through. I forgot I was going to bring some letters. Um, Christy had written me in Bible college, right? In hand, on the yellow legal pad, right? With the handwriting. Like, you know, when the, when the uh, envelope comes, you recognize the handwriting, right? And you're like, that's why companies trick you. Like the Ford dealer here will send you a letter. It looks like they hand wrote it. It's just a font that they use. And you're like, yeah. And you're like, ah. And it's not. It's not a love letter. But when you get one of those, what do you do? You read it all the way through. And dear Joe, dear Jane, and you go all the way through. And so we read the whole letter, every part, every word, all the way through. And so we need to see God's word as more of a love letter than an instruction manual. Listen, God's word does address things that are happening in our lives, but God's word is not the instruction manual for every single thing that goes wrong in your life. So what is something, when something goes wrong with our microwave and I can't change the clock, what do I do? I go back in the appendix and I look for clock. 
And then I go back and I try to find the thing and beep, beep, beep. I'm done with that. I'll just let it blink, right? So we do the same thing with God's word. Oh, I'm having trouble with anger. So I'm going to go back to the concordance and I'm going to look up anger. And then I'm going to read every verse on anger. See, God's word is not like an instruction manual. It's more like a love letter. God wants you to read it in large quantities, in context, in, right, read it from beginning to end. He wants you to get the whole picture of everything that he's doing, get the flow of unity and the flow of thought that happens. And so that's inhaling the good air, right? We've exhaled, what, the confession of sin. The breathing in is taking in God's word as a love letter. Yes, in that love letter are things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do, the character of God, who we, right, all that's in there. But it's got to be more than the instruction manual. Because the instruction manual is cold and it's not kind of sterile, right? But the love letter, yes, I want to read this. I want to know what he says. I want to ingest it, right? I want to inhale it. So what does Paul do? Paul challenges Timothy to present himself as one approved in 2 Timothy 2.15. One approved what? To handle the word of God. He reminds Timothy in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, right before that, he says, Timothy, you've known the scriptures by your spiritual parents as you've grown up. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, again, he reminds Timothy that all God's word is what? God breathed. It's the very breath of God. And so what do we do? We breathe in what God breathed out. I confess my sin to get out with the bad air, but then I breathe in the good air. What's the good air? The good air is God's word. It's his power in my life. It's it's his love letter to me. This is the form of spiritual resuscitation. What does it do? It resurrects our souls and it rejuvenates our lives. John Varnier in the book Becoming Human also said this, the truth will set us free only if we let it penetrate our hearts and rend the veil that separates the head from the heart. I read God's word in. Instruction manuals, it's all about up here, right? That's why we put that, this, they're, they're so technical sometimes that I can't understand this. But what's a love letter? Where does, where does love go? Love goes to the heart. Instruction manual to the head. Love to the heart. So I view God's word as a love letter. It gets in my heart and it changes me. And so we breathe it in, not just verses here and there, but chapters and we read books. You know, that's, that's one of the main problems with, uh, with devotionals that we use sometimes, like our daily bread in the upper room. There's one verse and then there's a whole lot of what somebody else says. So it's like one verse of God and three paragraphs of somebody else. It should be like the other way around. It should be like three paragraphs of God and one thing for me, right? And so I breathe it in and I have the good air that comes in. There is one, one uh, verse divorced from the context of all around it. And so Paul says this, to revitalize, rescue breaths as we're helping someone, what do we do? They're spiritually dead, confess their sin, right? Understand who Jesus is. They give their lives to Jesus, forgiven, but then they inhale God's word. And we do that in our lives as well. (sighs) Exhale sin. (sighs) Inhale God's word. There's a benefit to this that Paul says, now, now you're going to be ready. Here is what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is this, that you are going to be equipped 
for every good work. Look what he says in uh, 2 Timothy 2.21. At the end, when he said about this uh, one for honorable and one for dishonor, look what he says in verse 21. Prepared for what? For every good work. Our cleansing from sin, what does it do? It prepares us. That's what it does. That's what Paul said. Those vessels of dishonor and honor, right? Well, I, I exhale, the inside becomes clean, I'm confessed, right? I'm paid up, I'm prayed up, all those things. And what does Paul say? It's, it prepares you for every good work. The exhale. But what does the inhaling do? The inhaling, Paul says, is it equips us, right? It equips us for every good work. Look over at uh, chapter 3, verse 17. All scripture is what? God breathed. I breathe it in so that what? We may be complete. What does that mean? Mature, equipped for every good work. So if in our lives we feel like, Lord, you're not using me. Or Lord, there's something going here. There's something I'm not quite understanding. It could be that I've not prepared myself. Yes, I'm a believer. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, if I get run over by the metro bus today, I will go to heaven. Like, that's not the issue. The issue is, am I a dishonorable vessel or an honorable vessel? And it's through confessing, it's through admitting, and it's through acknowledging our sin before the Lord, allowing him to come in and cleanse us, that Paul says what? We are now prepared. The vessel is, is prepared so that when I offer you a drink, it's from a clean vessel you can drink from, right? You can receive from it. But what does the word of God do? The word of God equips us. The word for quit means fully outfitted and supplied. You know, uh, the uh, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's and those kinds of places are called what? Outdoor outfitters. What do they do? If you, everything you need, if you want to go fishing or hunting or do archery or go camping, what do you do? You find the equipment that you need. You are then outfitted, right? You buy all the stuff and you are now outfitted and equipped to do the job. In some uh, ancient literature, that same word was used for a fully stocked rescue boat. When the boat was going to go rescue people, it was equipped. It had everything that it needed in order to do the job. Without a steady intake of God's word, we are not equipped for the mission of search and rescue. We are not equipped to multiply. Before building a new house, the lot needs to be cleared. There was a fire down in Upper Marlboro last fall. And the building's been staying there for a while on the corner. And last week, they tore it down. And the lot is all cleared. Why? Because to put up a new building, you have to clear the lot. You have to get all the debris away, get all the junk away. The old has to go, the broken down and the unusable and the burned up. It all has to go. And then what's going to happen? A new building will be built in its place. Confessing our sins is the cleaning out part of that. It's the, it's the removing of the debris. It's acknowledging the things in our lives. And it's, it's taking that broom and sweeping them out. And then inhaling, reading God's word is what? It's the building up. It's, it's the moving and, and the equipping that God does in our lives to prepare us for what? For every good work. It's not only Paul that talks this way, but Peter talks this way as well. Real quick, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, as we close. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says this, You have been born again, not a perishable seed. We talked about the sower, right? The seed is what? It's the word of God. 
You have been poured not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God is the living and enduring seed that grows in our lives. But Peter then in in chapter 2 says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. What does that sound like? Right? We're exhaling. We're getting out with the bad air. It's, It's confessing. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. Now, different translations translate that different ways. Some may say, uh, spiritual milk, it can also be translated milk of the word. It's logikos, is the same word. And so what Peter's saying is, you exhale the bad, and what do you take in? Do you desire the pure spiritual milk, which is what? Which is the word of God. Pure means unadulterated, before any additives. You just, you just take it as it is, and I read it. It's God's love letter to me, and I breathe it in. And I just see simply what God is telling me, what God wants me to do. Now, there are other things important in our Christian life as well. Prayer and worship and all that. This this doesn't exclude those. But this this is what's essential in our lives for those rescue breaths. Because if my vessel is dishonorable, my prayer goes, my worship goes flat. My service is non-existent. But as I exhale, and as I become that vessel of honor, guess what happens? My service, and my prayer, and my worship. And then when I breathe in God's word, I take that in, what happens? I, I can have, a, have the worldview, that view of God for who he really is. When we want to multiply, we are dealing with those who are spiritually dead. Heart has stopped beating. They can't pray or worship. They need resuscitated. So what do we do? We help them to breathe. Exhale. <sighs> Inhale. Death to life. Ah, 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 ah. Staying alive. Staying alive. Come on. Ah, 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 ah. Staying alive. Staying alive. You got it. That's all you got to do. You don't have to remember anything else, but you're wanting to help somebody to what? Stay alive. Not physically, but now you know the tempo, right? But now we know spiritually. We help from life to death. To properly administer CPR, we need to be good breathers as well. If I'm, if I'm an asthmatic, I'm not going to do well at CPR. If I have emphysema from smoking, I'm not going to do well with CPR. I have to be a good breather myself. My, I have to have, right, exhale and, and, and inhale. And so we confess our sins. And we keep short lists with God. And we uh, take in God's word. And we do all those things. Do you know really what CPR is? CPR is this. Christ performing restoration. That's what it is. There's a spiritual work that happens. It's not me doing it for you. It's Christ doing it in you. And what does Christ do? He performs his restoration. He takes those old things that are broken. The debris. And he can move that the way to what to build something new and something glorious john varney says this the loss of of false self-image if it is an image of superiority or the need to hide our brokenness can bring anguish and inner pain we can only accept this pain if we discover our true self beneath all the masks and realize that if we are broken we are also more beautiful than we ever dared to suspect 
when we realize our brokenness, we do not have to fall into depression. He will truly see our true beauty and we can become as proud as we can. When I see my brokenness, what happens? I don't fall into depression. But what that means is, yes, I am broken and yes, I'm a sinner and yes, I confess. But what does that mean? I'm also more beautiful than I dared to imagine or even thought. I exhale. And then I inhale. And it's Christ that does it in me. We're not fit to share the good news of the kingdom unless we are first transformed by it. Personal transformation precedes transformation of of other people. We can't communicate how to breathe if we're not breathing ourselves. So my question is, how's your breathing today? How's, how, are, are, are you confessing that sin, right? Ultimately, yes, it's to God. It's to look at ourselves, allow the Lord to show us the sin in our lives. We get so angry at everybody else's sin. We get so angry about what everybody else is doing. We get so angry about... But God says, wait a minute, I want, you to, I want you to have that same anger toward your own sin that you have for everybody else's sin. I want you to view yourself even more closely than you view everybody else. How's your breathing? Are you taking in God's word? Are you taking that word in with the good air to prepare you for every good service, every good work? See, God's calling us today. He's given us rescue breaths. It's easy to do, but it's sometimes hard to implement. Out with the bad air. In with the good air. And then we're prepared. We're equipped for every good work. So these next few moments, we sing. And as we pray... As we offer ourselves to the Lord, say, Lord, help me with my spiritual breathing. Help me to be a person of confession. Help me to be authentic. Help me to be real. God, help me to not only exhale, but to inhale. And take in your word, the very word that you breathed out that I can breathe in.